Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Coming up on today's episode, I'll be speaking with former model food blogger and recipe maker Roz Purcell. Back in 2010, Roz came seventh in Miss Universe and was signed to Donald Trump's modelling agency in New York. It was at this time, at the height of her modelling career, that her relationship towards her own body and with food really began to suffer. Roz spoke candidly to me about the eating disorder which troubled her early 20s and about how her sister's leukaemia diagnosis shocked her into seeking help. After a shift in perspective, she decided to pack in the modelling and focus on her food blog, Natural Born Feeder. Now happy, healthy and thriving, Roz has just released her third cookbook and it's really good. I've tried a couple of the recipes. No Fuss Vegan and it was inspired, you'll hear, which is very funny, by her beef farmer, Da. Roz, welcome to the Women's Podcast. Thanks for having me on. We're delighted to have you. Um, you've written a book. It's your third one, No Fuss yes, Vegan. I can't believe it. I'll tell you a story about that later on. <laughs> You're a three-time author. That I is a pretty big deal. It's pretty strange because... Um, uh, if anyone had said that to me growing up, I would have said that they didn't. They, they didn't have a clue because um, growing up, I was often huge, big into baking. It was something I always did when I got home from school. But I guess I didn't really think that there might have been a career in it. Mm. Um, and I always wanted to go into culinary arts. For uh, um, when I was filling out my CAO, I remember saying like it's my favorite subject, and I definitely am far more creative. They're the only subjects I'm actually good at. I'm not good at any other subjects, and um, it wasn't really seen as a probably a you know a career path, which is strange because you look at it now and it's booming. Um, so it's definitely all something I kind of wish. I'm glad now that it is because I'm sure there's lots of other young kids out there who are in secondary school who have such a passion for food and it's great that it is such a fantastic route to go. And tell me about growing up then because you mentioned the baking and I know you did a lot with your grandmother and you grew up on a farm so I have this very idyllic view of your childhood. Is that fair? You know what? It's very <laughs> fair to say. Now our farm was definitely the faulty tar- towers of farms. <laughs> like you know I spent all my childhood chasing cows. Like honestly be going to bed quickly Roz the cows are broken out we need to get a flashlight you know and I was so fit growing up from chasing cows so fit um, I even look back now and I could have had a definitely a career in with running or something but um, uh, and it was it was a great childhood I look back and you know what my form of fun was going out and cementing a few walls together you know and isn't it great I have learned a lot of DIY and I, I know so much about food where it comes from and I really valued my time with my family. And I don't think children really have that as much now. So I definitely look back on my time and I hope that I can raise children in the same way. There were a few of you. Uh, there was, yeah. How many? Two older sisters. So there's three of us all together, okay. all girls. So Rachel, Rebecca and Roz, all oars. The three oars were called by What families. was your mum's idea with that, do you think? I don't know. No, so it's a bit not. Kardashian-y, isn't it, with a the Ks? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> but they're not so busy. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Maybe it was just to kind of remember everyone's name. I'm not sure. Uh, and uh, so my dad was left with three girls. But, you know, sure he absolutely loved it and there was never any question about who was going to take over the farm or anything they kind of knew that we weren't going to yeah which is sad yeah I suppose there are women farmers aren't there oh huge amount and um, you know sometimes I I wonder you know on chaotic days like would I just move home now and make it a grain farm Start some oat milk. You know, oat milk is booming right now. <laughs> never say never. That may be oh, still in your never future. Never say never. And you know, we live in the gorgeous part of Tipperary um, on the foot of Leavenmon. 
And, you know, I would always love to think that the house will always be in the family. Yeah, lovely. And you baked with your grandmother. I did. So growing up, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents because my dad was obviously a farmer. Not the greatest of farmers, but he was busy nonetheless. Farming, oh my God, I tell you now, they they work hard. They work seriously hard. My dad is still up the crack of dawn. Even though he's retired, you know, we still have a few kind of animals on the farm. And just upkeep of it. He is never been to the gym in his life, but he's probably the strongest man you'll meet. And my mum was a principal, my principal. And uh, so I would kind of finish school, you know, at one o'clock, whatever, when I was younger. And I'd go straight to my grandparents' house. And was that and nearby? So th- we actually moved into their farmhouse. And my dad, um, you know, back 30 years ago, whatever, built them a house. You know, like before there was actually probably regulations against that. <laughs> but it's a great house. Like I looked at it and I'm like, I can't yeah, I my there's dad. there's no actually. planners listening. No, but you know when you're like, wow, like back then, like the skills they have. Poor old Zach, I don't think you can change a fuse. This is your boyfriend. He's the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I spent all my time with them. And you know what? I value that so much because... Um, they taught me how to cook. Now, my parents obviously did as well, but I think I, they probably had a lot more time to kind of teach me how to cook. And it was nice because as I grew up and they got older, the roles definitely reversed and I got a chance to look after them. And I always look back in that and I'm so happy mm. that I got to spend so much time with my grandparents because I'd always love to have a day with them again. Yeah, that's and when did they uh, die? They died when I was 13 okay. and 15. So I was quite young. Um, but, but yet I, you'd had a lot of quality time with I them. I did, yeah. yeah. And they died in their mid-90s. Really? Oh, longevity's in my family. I'm going to be here for a while, guys. And my other Especially granny... Especially if you keep eating all that healthy listen, stuff. Listen. Well, no, actually, no, sorry. My other granny, who only died maybe four years ago, she died at 96, was still driving, still had a working farm, still brought the horses in and out, smoked and drank every single day right till she went and literally just dropped dead. Wasn't ill, nothing. And I always think, you know, she was a very strong advocate of just doing what you love. And if you want to have a fag, have a fag, find a drink, have a drink. So, you know, it's kind of questionable now, you know. I think it's just all down to how they used to live their lives. You know, there was no technology, really. They didn't have the the stresses that we have now. I know, I'm sure they had stresses, you know. God, there's always stresses no matter what. But um, probably wasn't as, um, they weren't sitting at desk. And, And And what was her name? Uh, I'm like, this, I used to always call her Mama, which I know to everyone listening is going to sound a bit weird, but we all have these strange names. Yeah, for nicknames. Her real name was Margaret, but... um, You called her I, Mama. Yeah, I always called her Mama. And did you, sp- like, oh, did you spend much time with her? Was she someone who you learned from as well? So um, I did. Now, she was hardcore. She was like the hardcore nanny. We wouldn't now call her grandmother because that is And that's why the mama came. Yeah, that meant that she was old and she was never, she refused to grow old. She was always like, you're as old as you think you are. Um, she was just badass. She really was. She was a hardcore woman. She went through like a very tough time. Her two sons and her husband died. Um, so my mum's two brothers and dad died all very close together. So she kind of, she had... Three girls then that she obviously looked after and like took over the farm and she was just a very strong, strong lady. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have amazing, uh, your mum as well, but you have great female role models growing up. Oh, 100%. Very strong. And like they were all very different. Like my grandmother who taught me how to bake was very kind of sensitive and like the very, you know, I think as you would look at like a home, like stay at home um, mother and was really into kind of keeping the home up and making sure everyone was happy. <laughs> and then you have Mama, Margaret on the other side, who was just still driving her Jeep around 95, you know, like making sure she'd bring her horses to the sales and was just would say how she felt, you know, and she didn't, she didn't care if she upset at anyone, but she just, you know, like wanted to be honest. So um, two very different female roles. And I definitely think I have a gel of both of them in, in me. And what about your mum then? What was she like as a, as a mother? Mum's a principal. That's okay, a, that says it, it all, that doesn't it? That says it all, that says it all. You know, she has that kind of reverse psychology down and, you know, I spent my childhood, um, I think I'm quite, I'm, see, my mum and I were very similar and um, so I think that, you know, we both, we were both very opinionated and we, but at the same time, if, if anything in my life goes wrong, if I ever have to question anything, she's the first person I call because she gives great advice. She's very rational and um, she's also honest like her mother. So you know you're going to get the, tr- the truth straight away. 
Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier that you weren't very academic, or was that kind of what you were saying, that you weren't good at school? Terrible at school. Okay. And I definitely think that, you know, Irish education system is completely swayed towards people who are book smart or people who are just good at learning things off. Memorising things. Memorising things. Like, I look back, I did, like, honours Irish. Do I know a tap of Irish? Not at all. I don't even know the questions that I was answering. I just had them all learned off, you know. And it's very sad to see because I went through a whole educational system thinking that I was never going to ever be successful no matter what I did in life because it was all geared towards the people who just were able to learn and um, who were just book smart people, like I said. So um, it's great the way things are changing. They definitely haven't changed enough. But I always like to discuss this topic because there's so many, I think, parents who follow me, young girls who follow me, who feel really lost. And I felt so lost in school. And I always didn't know what I was going to do. At the same time, though, I always knew it was going to work out. So <laughs> I am. I was you always, had an optimism. I think, yeah, I'm a very optimistic yeah. person. That helps, though, in life. Yeah. Because you're always looking for, you're not thinking it's going to be a disaster. You're looking no. for opportunities. Yeah, and, and I'll always it. look at the bright side. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I do get negative thoughts now and again. I'm, I can be a little bit negative. But then I always think, what advice would, would I give to my friend if she came to me with these woes? I'd give really good advice. So I need to always remember to give that to myself. Um, yeah, so I think it's really, really, it'd be interesting to see how the educational um, and the um, leaving certain everything grows in the next few years. But it definitely needs to change. And even like there needs to be a huge, um, I suppose, shake up when it comes to like the life has changed so much. So I definitely think the education system needs to reflect that. Like there needs to be better sex education. There needs to be um, like classes about positive self-image. There needs to be classes about dealing with social media and like what you put online is permanent. Um, and it's like we're so behind on all that. Yeah, just practical life advice for, for oh. people now growing into into this world. But you did get into college and you got I enough did, points yeah. too. Yeah. So now, I mean, fair play. Was, I, I will say I did have a few favourite subjects. And I obviously I picked quite quite wisely. I I picked art. I picked you know history. I absolutely love history. It was my favorite subject. Um, so I kind of I was good at picking what you know. Okay, let's what's going to actually get me good grades here. Um, and I did go to college. Um, and yeah, you I, went to study what? I I went to UCD to arts because I you know it's obviously the best option if you're unsure what you want to do. Um, I would have to say with all. Arts, maybe maybe it's different now, but you do kind of get lost. With those big lecture halls, you just get lost, especially if you're someone already who's mm. feeling lost and you don't know what to do. You know, you have no guidance. So, And I chose to do history and politics. History, I never missed a history class in UCD, even though like no one would have noticed because <laughs> I actually love history. It's one of my favourite topics. Politics, I chose that because I love debating. And um, growing up, if you had asked me what I wanted to do, I just always wanted to work with human rights and um, maybe work with different charities or see what I could do. And that's because, in fairness, our school, one thing that they did really, really fantastically was they worked a lot with um, the Millennium Development Goals and the Young Social Innovators. So they had like ex- extracurricular activities around educating us on what what was going on outside our little bubble and what we could do. And, you know, I suppose entering competitions and I'm a very competitive person so um, I did get really involved with that we actually I think won uh, there was three of us we won a Young Social Innovator Award so um, it's definitely that was kind of the things I was passionate about that's what I wanted to go go and do but I quickly realised that politics in college is old politics it's not what's going on right now in the world <laughs> at all and um, it's very little about human rights yeah so so you were kind of feeling a bit lost and like you say but it's, it's it's a big I know exactly what you mean going to college if you're if you're not that way inclined and you don't really have a goal you can just be get caught up a lost a bit like you said in it there's so many people and um, you're not really sure where to go I know I know it's great for loads of people but I had the same experience so I know what you mean yeah. um, but then you took a different direction I did. So and unexpectedly, I suppose. Yeah, unexpectedly. I uh, I went to Dundrum for the, in like my first week in college, I think I came straight from a party from Freshers Week and uh, just a modelling scout came up to me. Didn't even think they actually existed. I grew up watching America's Next Top Model. So I was excited, but also thought it was a joke. And I, I had I thought about modelling, I guess I never really saw myself that way. 
you know, there was not really any of that in Tipperary. And but the only thing is, I was thinking of you growing up on the farm, very tall. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's fair to say, very beautiful woman. Oh no, 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 and no, all no. that. And no, and <laughs> like I don't, I, I always think it's not nice to say like someone was beautiful or not because I definitely think, I, but the older I get, it's totally how someone carries themselves as their personality. I suppose but I mean conventionally or whatever. If we are just looking whatever, at conventional, yeah, yeah. I was just not at all like never. No one ever wanted to go on dates with me. I was not attractive in school whatsoever, and I actually really just had a growth spurt when I was 15 or 16 so it was quite late um, and I don't know I think I I was I kind of came into modelling at the time where the androgynous look was in okay yeah really like I had real frizzy hair I still have frizzy hair if I don't blow dry it freckles I'm very naturally quite pale so I it wasn't really for conventional you know like that kind of glossy you know 17 magazine look at all um, and I guess that's why I never really viewed myself. And I, I guess the ideas of beauty are changing. And even now, like you look at magazines, it's so lovely to see the diversity in it. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, so I, I think mainly when I first started working in the industry, actually one of my first shoots was in the Irish Times building. Really? And I, it was the cover of the, <laughs> the Irish old Times one or magazine been... here. Okay. And I remember we shot downstairs in the foyer <laughs> and there was all glass and people could look in and I was freaked. <laughs> no, no, I was actually kind of like, this is kind of cool. But I remember oh, yeah. it was one of my first shoots. I remember it got the cover of the Irish Times and I had, they dyed my hair red for it. Okay. But you know when your first job, I was just after watching the whole series of Americans next time. All <laughs> they're like, so we want to dye your hair red, and I was like, you know, this is my make or break. Oh moment. yeah, you know so the, like, in the beginning when okay, they do no that. problem, let's do it, and it was like bright red. I love red hair now, but I think at the time, you know, I was like, oh my god, they just dyed my hair red, red hair, and they'd curled it up into like kind of like a, I don't even know what it's like now. I wish I could get a photo. I'm going to show you after, and um, I was very pale and I had like bright red lips, and I remember being like. Wow, <laughs> could they not have given me a curly blow dry, give a bit of tan on, you know, give me a nice eyeliner flick. So I was definitely the model that was booked for that kind of cool, quirky look more so than. And that was the first week in college. So how long mm-hmm. did it take before you kind of, that actually became what you were going to do for a while? Um, so I was in college and I modeled part time for two years. And by part time, I say I took every single job and <laughs> prioritized it over college because it was just a lot more What did fun. your family think? Um, they, they thought it was great that I had a bit of income and, you know, and my parents are very much like, if you want something, get it yourself. So we always worked. We always had jobs. At one stage, I had three jobs. Um, so they thought it was great that I was doing it. They didn't really think much of it. Um, and in a way, modeling was fantastic because you're in college and you're at a stage where everyone's kind of starting experimenting and going off drinking and doing all that and modeling actually definitely kept me on the straight and narrow because I didn't want to look like shit <laughs> so I really just made sure that if I went out my friend I still went out but would never drink and uh, I think I was just very conscious of starting to live a clean lifestyle I guess um, and after about two years I won Miss Universe Ireland and that's when I went and competed at Miss Universe and then I got contracts all over the world so I, I finished college from with, so you with did the idea of coming back, but I just did. Didn't. You do your degree. I didn't finish it. Okay. One more year left. I know. Sad times. You'll go back one day, maybe. Oh yeah, I will. I definitely will. I you know what my mom obviously being a principal. <laughs> I was very worried asking her what I should do, and she was the one who said, "College will always be there. This isn't what you actually want to do. It would be different. Different. I think if I was like, I really want to be a lawyer or a vet, and I was doing that, they'd be like, see it through. But since I actually had no idea still what I wanted to do, it was very much like, take this opportunity and you can always go back to it. So tell me about modelling then internationally, because you went to New York mm-hmm. and you were signed to Donald Trump's agency. agency. Yeah. I mean, that is a, some claim to fame, isn't it? I know, it's a real sad one, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, he was he was owner of Miss Universe at the time, which I had no no idea about until I went to Miss Universe and I remember they lined us all up and they said okay Donald Trump's going to come in and meet everyone and everyone got so nervous and I didn't really care I was like okay you know I I think that as an Irish person going over to Miss Universe they don't probably prepare you as much as other countries it's kind of like you wouldn't now go over and have some fun it's not like you better bring back the crown or anything (laughs) like that and uh, we lined up and I have to say the second he came into the room he's an extremely intimidating person and I obviously, I didn't really watch, but I was aware of The Apprentice show. Um, and he's reminded me so much of my granny. <laughs> you know, he just said what he wanted to say. He didn't care what anyone else thought. And I just remember he came down to the line and he was like, Ireland, you don't look Irish at all. And I was like, 
okay, I don't know what to say here. I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, love Ireland, great golf course. I was like, oh, me too. I obviously do not play golf. <laughs> and he kind of kept going on to everyone then and meeting everyone. And I remember the girl was like, he talks to you. He spent loads of time with you. And then it was such a competitive atmosphere anyway. But um, that was kind of the first time I ever met him. Obviously then um, it was the owner of Trump Models who was a judge. And obviously I'd done my interviews with her and I'd done my catwalks and gotten through different rounds with her as a judge that they signed me to Trump Models. Um, And I think after that time I'd met him twice after just obviously I did some presenting on Golf TV and then I actually went up to the big office one time. Um, And yeah, like I guess for me it was just everything was surreal at the time. I just won Miss Ireland. I've been signed to New York. I don't even consider myself a model. Here's Donald Trump. What's going on? <laughs> and all the while I was thinking, I wish I was back in college. My friends looked like they're having so much fun. You know? <laughs> and I guess they were probably looking at me being like, oh my God. Yeah. She's living a total different yeah. life now. But um, I just remember I was always living for Christmas to go home and see my friends. So what was it like then? Because um, you've spoken a lot about sort of how that was the beginning of a kind of bad time in your life really in terms of how you felt about your body mm. because that's such a competitive you mentioned it there industry and it's all based on how you look and that is the only currency that matters yeah. so who you are as a person is not really relevant no and I think in Ireland in the modelling industry who you are as a person is really relevant you will get booked again based on your personality your punctuality and how much fun you are on a shoot uh, and I was always obviously aware going to the modeling industry that it's based on aesthetics. So I went in with the idea like I have, I'm like an onion, I'm like Shrek, I've got loads of layers, like come at me, I, I'm going to be cool. And I've always been really, really confident growing up. And if someone asked who wants to volunteer for this, first hand always went up. I never questioned what I, my capabilities. And in New York was the first time I've really got broken down. And I think the kind of negative things I always you know, would come into my mind about myself, people verified. And it wasn't just people, it was adults. And I think definitely when someone older than you tells you you are something, you definitely take it like like it's a fact. Um, so that's why I think over, you know, right now I always talk about how language is so important when you're talking to anyone, and no, no matter what age, because words really do stick with people. Um, and that... It did start a turbulent relationship, but it actually wasn't until I got home it got really bad. Um, because I think a lot of times with eating disorders, if anyone's listening to this and they they have one and had experience, routine, it's all about routine as well. So, what do you mean by that? Um, I think when I was abroad, it was kind of chaotic, and um, for me to be able to control my life, like food was the only thing I could control. So then, by being making the choice to go home, I was like fully back in control. I felt, which is. I suppose at the time I, I didn't look at it that way, but looking back, it was just like the real start of it all. So what happened when you came back then? Because you when continued modelling, did I you? I continued modelling abroad and I think I was really, when I was abroad, I was like binging and purging. I kind of had the fear that I would be sent home if I didn't meet my measurements. And I was always kind of skimming by just a little bit by little. So they measured and you every week? Yeah, and maybe I think I was probably in a particular situation that I naturally, I'm not made to be a model. Well, that kind of a model, a runway model. Um, so that definitely doesn't happen for a lot of people. I, I think that a lot of girls out there are naturally have the physique for it. I didn't. Um, and even when I dieted and went for hour long runs every morning, I still didn't. Um, so I kind of just managed to get by that. And then I get home for Christmas, eat everything around me, put on loads of weight really quickly. And like obviously in your my early 20s, I fluct- you fluctuate naturally. I was fluctuating. And that definitely played a lot of me because I feel really like such a failure again and then it would cause my purging even more extreme so I binge and purge for quite a long time and eventually I decided to come home because oh I think even my family could see it you know I'd go away tiny and I'd come back because I'd know like the last week before I was coming home for somewhere I'm like well they can't really book me for a job now and I'm gonna eat all the food that I, it was such a restrictive lifestyle um and I decided to stay at home because I just couldn't handle the pressure of going away because you just had to be such a severe, such a smaller version of myself. It wasn't, it wasn't um, sustainable. And I don't think even realistic. I don't think I ever met anyone's measurements. Um, so I came home and that's when I started to kind of try to clean eating, I suppose, and kind of be more consistent with it. 
but it just led to more binging, more purging, orthorexia, bulimia, and eventually just I wasn't even myself anymore. Mm. What do you mean? What were you, what was your behavior like? Well, when I was going through the worst of disordered eating, I just was not I suppose I hate talking myself in third person. It's, I think it's always quite creepy, but I just wasn't the Roz that people knew growing up. Uh, my life was controlled about around what weight I was. My whole self-worth was how people viewed me and how I looked. And I was living up to this unrealistic image that I had totally created for myself. But at the same time, I thought that's the only way people would actually like me. So it was really difficult because, you know, if I even had gone to relationships or with my friends, it was this fear that like, if I showed them who I really was, like the size I really naturally was, that they wouldn't actually want to be with me anymore. It's very sad, isn't it? And I think it happens quite a lot of people. And it's very sad that we base so much of our own self-worth on what weight we are. And as women, it's like, it will hit you at one stage in your life. You'll always think that way. And obviously, you know, thankfully, I all I never thought I would actually be better. I remember I used to be with my sister on holidays or with my friends and they would just eat a pizza or eat ice cream on a Monday or Tuesday and not talk about it, just get over it. And I used to think, I just wish I could just do that simple thing and not hate myself for it. And I used to look at my sister who just would train for a bit of enjoyment, the fact that she likes to keep fit. And I only ever trained to like punish my body to be smaller. And I used to think, I wish I could just not have such a fixation with food and my body and just I just wish I could just be normal and I always I honestly thought I was stuck there forever I was like I, this is just how I'm going to be forever mm. and I'm going to be this really like I was such a and it's a bit of extreme word but like I was a really miserable person I brought everything down with me and everything was controlled about how my day of food went and everything was controlled around what I was going to eat and it really definitely affected every single person around me. I was extremely negative on myself, obviously didn't like myself, so it was very hard for me to be around me. Um, so being able to come out the other side of that, and, you know, this year was the first year I was even able to talk about it to anyone. Cause, really? Oh, yeah, I only talked about it, um, obviously, sorry, not this year, in 2019. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't ready to talk about it because I definitely feel like you know, recovery takes a long time. I had a lot of relapses and it was only when I was 29, I was able to go, I am never going back there. And I'm able to talk about it and talk, talk to people about how I managed to get over it. Mm. So I think that's the main thing. There's no point telling, I think, you know, it's great to tell your story, but you also need, there's so many people out there who are going through it or know someone who's going through it and they need to be able to be supportive they need to understand what to expect and they need to know that there is 100% a chance that they can be better Was there a turning point was there a time when you felt like this I can't carry on like this Yeah it- definitely and see this is the thing a lot of people ask me like what was the thing that helped you get over it and I wish I could just package it up and give it to so many people because it is life changing I'm totally back to the Roz that I used to be and for me, it was it took something so, as bad as my sister getting diagnosed with cancer for me to go, what am I doing? Like, I've based so much time and so much energy hating my own body. The one thing that actually works for me every second of every day and I take it for granted. It made me realise that my body wasn't just for show. It actually has a function um, and that my life's priorities were all over the place and it flipped them all back into priority. Like, what's actually important that my family and myself were healthy and life is about having fun and if eating some cake it makes you happy have some cake like get on get over it like it's not you didn't like food guilt was all consuming I think so many women feel it so many guys feel it on a morning morning or a Sunday night you know you cleanse the house you're like better get rid of all this food so I'm just going to eat it <laughs> and you just feel so guilty for the next few days and you keep reacting in your mind like why why am I such a failure why did I just have that why can't I just be one of those people that can just say no to it jeez you didn't burn down an orphanage get over it. like you just had some food like food is so enjoyable and you just have it and get over it and move on and that took me so so long and I had to I had to go to talk to so many people and you, it's funny because I'd go to talk to someone about it and 
back when I was 23, 24, when I'd go to talk to people about it, I didn't want to get better. I just did it to tick box because obviously the people I was around at the time and my family, they were quite aware that I was really, really, really in a bad place. And they always encouraged me going to get professional help. And I didn't want to get help because my eating disorder was me. It was part of me. It was who I was. It was why people liked me and gave me a control. And it was like this weird stickly control that I that I enjoyed, but it was c- c- ruining everything around me. Mm-hmm. You were on holidays with your sister as well, and she sort of said, she, another sister, not the one who's She did, cancer. yeah. And um, she had a bit of a mama moment. And she just, she just <laughs> came into the room. a bit of mama in all of you, yeah, it sounds she just like. came into the room and was like, basically, you are ruining the holiday for everyone. You are so miserable, and we can't go to dinner with you without you making such a big deal about it. And then if you... You can't just enjoy food. You make everyone feel so bad for enjoying it around you. And for the rest of the night, you're in such a bad mood. And I remember she said it in a really harsh way. I think she just got to boiling point with me. And then she was like, but we still want you to come to dinner tonight now. But does you know? And she tried to step. And I got so mad at her. I just didn't want to go. But then I didn't want to be show that I was stubborn. So I went. But like, it almost made it worse. Because it was at a time when I had tried to go get help. And I was dealing with the fact that I was putting on weight and putting on weight was okay but it was really difficult and anyone who's been through this or anyone who's going through it, it's really really difficult to retrain your brain to think that putting on weight is okay and I know that for some people might that might sound no, silly no but that's but, an illness so you know yeah, it's, so, um, it's disordered is what yeah, you said and that is really hard because not that being in the public eye is makes it harder but it adds an extra layer in that you're doing it while everyone's watching you and I think I was at a time where people, when I was really, really small, people would go, oh, we want to do an interview with you. Like, how do you get your figure? What do you eat in a day? Like, everyone wants to look like this. How do you get your abs? And for me, it was even unattainable. For me, I was living this big lie. And I wasn't going to write an article and go, I don't really eat much, you know, because then it would be obvious. So it was kind of, had this fear factor that if I tell people, or if I just start putting on weight and make myself better, people won't really people won't like me anymore. Mm. They won't want to know what I'm doing. They won't, like, this is who I am. I am the girl who is a certain size and looks a certain way and I don't want to break that mould. And I remember it's really hard to explain that to a counsellor who's like, yeah, but, like, those people don't matter, you know, like, you can always get another job, do all these things, and you're like, but this is me, like, you know, (laughs) this is my life and what I do. So it's, it's a strange process. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. You went for help and you got cognitive behavioural therapy, which I think, is that one of the things yes. that you tried? So I went and got a few different things. So yeah. I went and got a nutritionist um, and I went to CBT. And CBT is cognitive behavioural therapy. And why I chose to do that was because I guess I had known people who had done CBT and they found it very effective. And I had no idea about the different services out Mm. there. And I guess I still wasn't ready to admit I had an eating disorder, but I knew I had um, a kind of a strange way of thinking. I was very irrational, irrational about absolutely Mm. everything. I would have these hypothetical arguments all the time in my head and I know people might be listening to this going jeez I have that all the time but these were so frequent and so consuming that I just had like a lump in my throat the whole time I had this anxiety I felt like I couldn't catch my breath and I also couldn't eat certain food I just couldn't I had this strange strange behaviours with food I had this mixed reality of what I was allowed to do and what other people weren't allowed to do. And it was just, everything was intertwined with this whole control aspect with Mm. food and what weight I was. And if I ate something that wasn't in my good or list or whatever, I couldn't actually function for the rest of the day. Okay. And the CBT helped you how to to change that behaviour, basically? Well, it gave me tools that when I was having an irrational moment or feeling having severe food guilt how to work it out in my head and how to start managing my thoughts because it really did stem from my thoughts about myself. Um, and I think with the whole control aspect of being able to break a routine, 
and be able to embrace the chaos and not feel guilty and be able to just, you know, go with the flow, I suppose. they It did really help with that. Now, and I did go to counselling with a lot of different people. It took a while to find the, <laughs> find the one I like because at the time as well, I was very... Um, you know, I was very judgmental on myself and very harsh on myself. So you can imagine I was like that with other people. Um, and it's really hard to say all this because obviously I'm not coming across like a nice person. Um, I definitely, from when I was younger, I used to be like the life and soul of the party. And like, like I always had lots of friends around me because I loved talking to people. And I became a person who I can imagine I walked into the room and people go, oh, no, Roz is here. Really? Because, and it was mainly for... Not for a pe- thing people on the outside. People on the outside, I was very good at being a certain person, but definitely with people around me, you know, like my friends and my Give family. Give me an example of the reasons people would have made that noise about you coming into the room. Like, what was it they expected of you? Well, I had this, like, gloom about me the whole time. Like, I was always down because I was never happy with myself. So if somebody's even like, congratulations, you did this, I'd be like, oh, I always find something negative straight away to say. Um... You definitely, I think when people were around me, it was usually for like events where there'd be food or whatever. And obviously I'd make it worse because I'd be like, I'm not having any. Or, you know, is that, does that taste good? Is it worth having? You know, those kind of things are really, I think, dangerous to talk around food, like making other people feel bad about eating. And you know, at the time, I was so unaware that I was doing it. And this is, I was the type of person that now if I saw me, obviously I think you'd deal with it the right way, but you wouldn't want to be around. Yeah. Um, when did I, you start then the, the blogging and the food stuff did it kind of come at the same time or was it only when you started to get better it kind of came at a time where and you have to remember when I was going through it I didn't really know what I was going through I kind of thought that this was just all normal and obviously now my sister I knew she was just never had a problem but I just thought it was the industry I was in and that you know it was a product of my environment more so than you know I had to go get help mm. for anything um, so I had kind of started it similar enough at the same time, but I did very much separate the two, if that made sense. Like, I really do enjoy cooking. I always have. But I guess I would not have probably eaten the recipes. And, like, that's, I think, where the feeder name came from. And um, that was a time right. where, like, I loved feeding people. Like, I still love to be around It's interesting, food. isn't it, that that was the first yeah. title of anything that you went yeah. into? Because that's what you're basically were saying. You can have it, but I'm not going to have yeah, it. Yeah, I better not I, have it because I, you know, I can't handle food. As, yeah, I never t- That's very interesting. Yeah. And obviously, it's changed. like, I love eating food, too. And, you know, the feeder is very much like, I feed myself, you can do your own thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's definitely changed. And, you know, even like I've gone back over the blog now and like changed my language completely. Have you? Oh, yeah, I have. Because I definitely feel like even, you know, there was recipes and it would be like, oh, guilt-free brownies. And stuff right, like, you don't say that sort of stuff anymore. No, it's a brownie. Right. You can and you don't, whatever day you, you want. don't use judgmental language no. maybe and about mm. the clean stuff. And because yeah. you mentioned orthorexia and that's when people get very, very they obsessed. use almost that kind of clean eating as a virtue. As a, but exactly. actually it's, it's And you know, that's exactly what I was. And there was so many blogs around the time I started mine and so many books around the time I started mine that were that were leading that lifestyle. It was all this is clean, this is not like sin free, guilt free, all this. And I get it. Some people still use that language, but I was using it in a way because I really, really felt guilty if I had had yeah. something. Um, and yeah, it just, I, I had, I went back and I started changing everything through my blog because, you know, I want someone to read my blog and just know that food is food, tasty food is, mm. food doesn't matter. Would you say these things in your other books, this is the third, mm. that you would also change if you could go back and sort of reprint? Or Yeah, but you know what? I think for general person they would read that and wouldn't yeah, even think exactly. twice about it I guess I've come from a side where I understand language from a different viewpoint um, but at the same time I look back on my other books and I do love them yeah. and um, you know I think they, they are still great recipes well, they're part of your story exactly well. part so of the story. let's talk about this one then No mm-hmm. Frost Vegan and why did, I mean it's really incredible how Quickly, I think we've, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, my brother watched something on Netflix. I can't remember what the name of the program was, but he said, like this a few years ago, he said he was going to try being vegan. And we were all like, oh, my God, (laughs) you weirdo. And it's just funny now. It's like, you know, if you're not kind of doing a bit of vegan. ahead of the trend. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he wasn't even ahead. He was like following, you know. But it's just, it seems like the kind of, it's peak vegan now is where we seem to be somehow. Yeah. And I started writing this book three years ago. 
And for me, I uh, it was totally influenced by my dad, who decided the farmer. he was the, yeah, the he beef was, farmer. He was a beef farmer. Yeah, <laughs> he was one of those people that watched a Netflix documentary and, and it must have been him. the same. Um, one. Probably was the same one. <laughs> and was like, oh my god! So he was like, oh look, I want to really try being plant based, and it was great for me to try out recipes. So um, I did it with him. We all did it with him. Um, now, not everyone in my family really kept it up, but Dad and I did, and he kind of started the thing of. Okay, I want to be plant based at home, but when I go out, I want to eat and order whatever I want. Okay, so that's kind of how my book, you know, and I say it in it that like, look, if you if you need plant based at home, if you need plant based once a week, once a day, whatever it is, and then when you go out for food, just order what you want. And I definitely think there's lots lots of misconceptions when it's when you talk about going plant based. One is that it's all salads, totally untrue. You can have so much delicious comfort food, and number two is that you have to do it the whole time. You know what I mean? No, Life is too short, number one. T- number two, it's like food is there to be enjoyed, you know? Yeah. Tell us about some of your favourite recipes in it, the things that you think would um, change people's minds almost. Oh, one about the cooking and preparation, that it's not crazy hard. Mm-hmm. And then second, about the fact that it's really lovely and delicious. Because um, I'm definitely going to try a few. I haven't got into it yet, but I'm going to... And do you want me to pick specific recipes? Yeah, like the yeah. mushroom and bean chilli, for example. Oh, is, yeah, that's... Yeah. But it's one that you weren't even going to put in, but it's actually your go-to comfort It food. is, yeah. And that's the thing. Sometimes, you know, I'll cook up a recipe at home and my sister will go, oh, what's this? And I'll be like, oh, I just threw a few things together. And she, is it on the blog? No, that's not really a recipe. Like, it's too easy. <laughs> and she'd be like, no, but that's what people want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, it wasn't until my friend Sarah, who styled the book, um, was like, um, Roz, we're doing the book shoot. Where's the mushroom and bean chili? Like the one that you gave me the recipe for. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't even have it on the blog. Just you had it at the house one day. And she's like, it's the best recipe ever. Like my parents love it. I love it. I make it every day. So she was the one who convinced me I had to put it in the blog. And it was funny. I was like, oh, do you still have that in the email? Because I've lost it. <laughs> so she had to send it back to me. And I kind of rejigged a few things and popped it in. But that's a great recipe. The shortbread's a great recipe. The pizza is one of my favorite things in the book. Um, and I think it's just... I wanted to create a book that just took traditional favourites and just shifted a few things around, made them vegan. Um, How have you made a vegan bechamel sauce? I just oh, Okay, this is something I figured out five or six years ago. And w- roux sauces and bechamel sauces were one of the first things I learned how to make. Because um, we used to also have cauliflower and white sauce. And yeah, I just changed a few things around, like just used like a non-dairy milk, soy milk instead of milk. Still use regular flour um, and just use a vegan butter or, you know, um, a vegetable oil or something like that. Makes the exact same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, So I think as Irish people, we all know how to cook our meat, chicken, veg, fish, whatever it is. We've been brought up like learning that that's the centre of our plate. Um, And yeah, I just feel like Irish people we just boil or steam our vegetables they're an afterthought we, we kind of almost think better put some vegetables on for the dinner and they should be championed yeah someone said to me recently that they've started to think about when they're making their dinner that they make the vegetables the sort of star of the show and then if there's a meat happening that it's almost exactly. on the periphery and that has changed the way she cooks because then suddenly well I actually did this thing over Christmas where I, I got um, a cauliflower and I just decided to to roast the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing because it was actually made the dinner. And it comes out looking all lovely. Delicious, like, yeah. And then, and then you slice into it. And I mean, I know people laugh at cauliflower steaks and all that, but it's actually lovely cauliflower oh, when you do I different things I love cauliflower, yeah. And there's one in the book, a whole roast of garam masala cauliflower. And they're so easy. It's so cheap. And um, you know what I was surprised by was the leaves of the cauliflower oh because God, I sautéed delicious. them. Yeah. And I thought, no, they're too hard. They're not going to mm. um, sauté down. But then they do. Yeah. And they're gorgeous just with a bit of butter and garlic or whatever. And you'll definitely find, I think, with a lot of vegetable books, they do use the whole vegetable in most cases. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think it's just, I wanted to create a book that showed people how to make really simple vegetable-based meals. And you can throw on whatever else you want on top, you know? Yeah. But um, is there, you, your dad probably has loads of farmer friends and it's a whole community thing. And I, I mean, there is that kind of fear among people who make their living, you know, mm. raising cows. And Ireland is such a meat-eating country, or has yeah. been. What do you say to those people who feel like, you know, you're gonna, it's going to ruin people's way of life and livelihoods and that kind of thing? Well, I guess, you know, even at the moment with the farmers' protest, there's not a decrease in demand for beef whatsoever. Even though a lot of people are cutting back on it, there isn't. Um, and what they're protesting about even is about the cost that they're being offered by the meat factories and processors. And to be honest with you, coming from a farming background and seeing the work they do, everyone deserves to have a livelihood. I do think that 
it'll be interesting to see how veganism grows and to see how farming evolves because I do think it's obviously on the rise and like every business you know there's ups and downs and it's seeing how you evolve with it even if you look at like electric cars like with families who own diesel and petrol garages how that will change and how it will evolve um and I guess that's why in my book you'll never see me say don't eat meat like eat more veg eat better meat Mm. you know um and I think as Irish people like we have great produce and even though you know I have particular eating habits I'll never judge someone for having different eating habits um and I just think as long as you're getting good quality of whatever it is, mm. that's great. Let's talk about social media for a second because your community, and you've spoken about it, you go on hikes, you have the hike life, and which is fantastic. People who maybe weren't used to going walking on in beautiful scenery in this country, you've t- took them along and um, it seems really healthy and a, a lovely thing to do. So you've built this amazing community, but at the same time, you're in this social media world that we know can be so damaging. Like I was... Uh, I suppose I was lurking on your Instagram <laughs> account and looking at how compared to other sort of so-called influencers, um, maybe I shouldn't say so-called, influencer isn't a bad word, it's just like influencers, yeah. um, you kind of post pictures of yourself and you can see little folds like everyone has, mm-hmm. you know, but if you if other people position themselves a certain way to make it look like there's this perfectionist mm-hmm. uh, body. So have you still got mixed feelings about social media? Because on the one hand, it's your livelihood now and mm-hmm. it's how you've built this amazing community. On the other hand, there is so much toxic stuff there and so much damaging for especially younger people who, who are looking at these people thinking, oh, I want to be like that. Mm. Um, well, I guess I find social media really toxic and every week I ask myself, why am I on this such a waste of time? Sometimes sometimes I go on my phone and after 40 minutes, I'm like, I'm just after looking at loads of strangers' pasts because everyone's posting about what happened already. And I come off and I'm like, oh, why am I even on it? I think it'd be so great for everyone's headspace if it didn't exist. But then I think it's here. And I'd rather be in the room and saying something good than out of the room completely. I have a, I'm lucky, I suppose, to have a platform where I have lots of people who follow. So I may as well use it in the right way. Um, And I suppose the thing I do now, and it's been a huge turning point, I feel like I've grown up so much in the past two or three years that I'd rather be the voice that my younger self needed to hear than just to be not on it at all. Um, And I definitely feel like, Oh, I don't use social media to feed my own ego or for validation. I don't really need that. I'm at an age where I don't really care. Like, obviously, it's nice if people like you, whatever, but I have a lovely boyfriend who loves me. I have a great family. I'm very content. I don't really use it to for people to like it. I don't use it for people to tell me how great I am. Obviously, if someone messaged you and they say, oh, I like following you, whatever, it's great. I don't really spend much time on it. Um, And what I would say as well, I think a lot of people bring this up. They always say, well, Instagram's your livelihood. I'm never afraid to change what I do. Like I gave up modeling when it was my main source of income. Didn't care, obviously, for my mental health. If it comes in a year's time that I'm really finding social media is draining on me, I won't even think twice about giving it up. I'll always evolve. Like I was saying, the main thing in business is evolving. Yeah. Because I thought ultimately you've really shown great business skills and entrepreneurial skills and everything that you've done. Oh, well, to be honest with you, I'm probably the worst business person <laughs> ever. I always just do what's, I try to, and it's probably changed obviously because I talked earlier about how I was living this giant life. So I guess now, if anything, I just try to be as honest as possible because, I don't know, it just feels like I can't lie. What are you going to do next? So you, you've done the vegan thing. Do you think you'll keep on that? Um, well, yeah, way? look, I, I definitely feel like even my blog, that's how I eat now. So it would be a bit silly, I think, for me to be cooking a roast chicken then because, you know, I won't be eating it. Mm. And be back to, you know, when younger Raza, <laughs> eat this, I'm not having any. Um, so I definitely, that's how I prefer to eat. And, you know, I think a lot of people always ask me, you know, like, why did you choose these? I never set out to go, okay, I'm going to go vegan now because I never thought I would be. I was like, I'm pretty sure my old Twitter bio was like, like previous cavewoman, huge carnivore. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Used to like be eating meat off the bone. Um, and I don't know. I just stopped enjoying it. And I definitely feel like in the recovery of you know feeling okay to eat more to eat more food and sitting with the nutritionist and learning that carbs are not evil; they're perfectly fine. I was like, I enjoy them so much more <laughs> than eating like the turkey and the chicken that I was eating. And I just slowly stopped eating it over time. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I was like, I just don't want it anymore. Um, I don't really see myself going back. Uh, so I definitely 
would see that the blog would continue to be plant-based. Um, and you know what? In the future, I would love to just have a little cafe, cafe, um, talk to people every single day, probably have to be online, but, you know, would just be behind the scenes with it. And just, I think for me, I was always kind of searching for something. What's the next big thing? I kind of realized that none of that matters unless you're enjoying the everyday. So um, I never really like to think what I'm going to be doing because... I think for a lot of people, particularly at my age, I'm turning 30, it can be kind of a scary thing. Like I don't have a mortgage, I don't have a house and, you know, oh, what's next? Oh, should I be having kids soon? Will I get married? People say, what's next? We're just going with the flow. Okay, well, that seems like yeah. a lovely place to end it. The book is called No Fuss Vegan. Mm-hmm. It's available in all the best bookshops and probably some not. Why do yeah. people say that? Yeah. Like no good bookshops. The crappy ones yeah. probably also yeah. have yeah. it. Yeah. Even if there are crappy bookshops. Um, but it's been lovely talking to you. Really fascinating. And I think you've made things very easy for people. Um, and I think that's what people need now. And, and like you say, people are busy, but they're trying to eat in a way that's, it's different. It's a whole mind change, isn't it? Mindset change for mm-hmm. people, especially in this country. And I think there's anything that can help that is great. Um, and also you've a, you've a great story. And thank you very much for coming. Thanks in. for having me. And that's it for today. Thanks very much to our guest, Roz Purcell. And remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.